0: It is a Monday, and actually I get pretty excited about Mondays, which would tell you for sure that I'm retired, because nobody else likes fucking Mondays, but hear me out on this. We go through a whole week, shit show after shit show, exciting stuff, compelling stuff, crazy stuff happens all week. And then we get to Saturday morning, and all I can do is, wow, that was a rough one, let's just dial it back a little bit and relax for a couple of days. Not as much exciting shit happens on the weekends, typically, as it does during the week. And I'll be honest with you, at my age, I need those two days to recoup so I can come back on Monday and be at the proper level of intensity. This podcast is always the toughest podcast to do. Because when I start this, right now it's 12.23 a.m. my time. Central Standard Time. So nothing has happened on Monday as yet. I mean, there are some things that came across this weekend that we'll talk about. But my problem is, shit may start happening on Monday. And by the time you hear this podcast, I may be totally out of fucking date. Because I did it at 12.23 in the morning. 9 o'clock a.m., shit could go down, and you're listening to this. So this is always the tough one for me to do. So I try to decide those things that are kind of important, try to uh, um, anticipate some big stories. And I've got a couple of those. Um, Actually, the first one is something we should all be anticipating, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I wanted to bring one thing up, though. These Republicans are getting a little unhinged. They're losing their shit. And the reason they're doing that is because they're getting cornered. Donald Trump especially, he's got all kinds of trouble with the shit he's spewing. But it doesn't matter because this is a regular occurrence for Donald Trump. But it does illustrate what kind of shape, what kind of condition he's in. He's scared to death. He's just flailing, he's throwing a fit, he's pitching a fit, he's throwing a tantrum, he's doing all kinds of shit. He's just taking any kind of shit and throwing it against the wall and hoping against hope that it will stick, and unfortunately, none of it will stick. Now, Donald Trump's not the only one losing their shit. Take Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was at a Trump rally, and she was uh, the opening act, I guess. And uh, she said a lot of stupid, crazy shit, as she does. But she said something that was kind of interesting. She tried to sell to the crowd that the Democrats want Republicans dead. In fact, the killing has already started. And she cited some 18-year-old kid who got run over or something. Don't even know the story. Don't even know it's true. The fact that it came out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth tells me it's probably a lie. But nonetheless... These people are the epitome of trying to play the victim. Now, remember, these are the guys that were the bullies, making threats, pushing people around. The only time bullies stop doing that is when it doesn't work anymore. And then they back up a little bit and say, I'm the victim. So now they're trying to sell the fact that Democrats want Republicans dead. And let me be honest, I'm not hating that idea. I don't hate that idea. Now, I don't wish ill on anybody, well, except Donald Trump and a few other people. But here's the thing if we get Republicans, I won't even say Republicans because they're not Republicans and they're not conservatives, they're Trumplafucks. If these people continue to do the things they're doing and they attack the U.S. Capitol again, the FBI building, whatever they fucking do, here's the thing these are domestic terrorists. And in this country, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We just deal with fucking terrorists. And if you're going to behave like that, you're going to put yourself in harm's way. You're going to put yourself in a situation much like Ashley Babbitt did. And if you do that, you could end up dead. Now, we don't want you dead. We don't hope for you to die. But if you continue doing this shit, you'll fuck around and find out. So... As much as she's trying to scare these people. And you notice that. That's what they're trying to do. Donald Trump says Mitch McConnell has a death wish. That's like a code word for for the Trumple fucks to sick him. Or Marjorie Taylor Greene suggesting that Democrats want them dead. They're trying to whip these people up. They're trying to get them scared so they will lash out. This is where the desperation comes up. They don't know what else to do. So all they can try to do is create some violence. Now, they aren't going to participate in the violence, but they're going to whip the dumb people up, and hopefully they will fight for them, because that's their only option right now. And as I've told you before, that's not going to happen. Amongst the Trumplefucks, there isn't enough courage out there, because they know what's going to happen. But I dare them to, because I'll tell you, Marjorie, if you try to pull the shit you pulled on January 6th, with Joe Biden in office, the National Guard in full force, the police department in full force, there may be some trump fucks that end up unalived, as they say on TikTok. Now, I'd hate to see that, and there's one way to avoid it. Stop doing fucked-up shit. Stop trying to overthrow our country. Then you're in no danger. It's just... It's entertaining for me to watch these people because I'm watching them take the exact road I've set all along. First of all, they're bullies. They're tough guys. Then they kind of start to spiral out of control. And then ultimately, they fucking crash and burn. And they are just moments away from crashing and burning. Because they're pulling out the stops. They're acting in desperation. And even these desperate moves will not work. Now, I was talking about uh, shit that may be going on this week, as every week. There's always shit shows and craziness and compelling and exciting and scary shit that's happening. And here's something that might be a little scary, but certainly interesting and certainly something we need to vote. And that is the Supreme Court is coming back to their seats Today, they'd been on vacation for a little bit. They're always getting fucking vacations, but they were on vacation. And now they're coming back. Four months after overturning Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court's six-vote conservative supermajority returns to hear a new batch of cases that could further upset past precedent and dramatically rewrite the law on October 3rd. Today. Today. The court blew up a half a century of precedent on women's rights in the last term, of course, and this time around it looks like they're ready to blow up another half century, at least, of precedent related to race. Justices will be hearing cases that could end affirmative action in higher education, further gutting the Voting Rights Act, empower state legislators to enact restrictive voting laws and gerrymandered maps with no judicial oversight and uh, take away the ability of wrongly convicted prisoners who are disproportionately black to petition for the reversal of their punishments, in addition to cases that could dramatically reverse decades of progress on racial equality. The court will also hear important cases that could hamstring antitrust enforcement actions, further hamper federal regulatory action, and make it easier for the states to deny Medicare and Medicaid services. The court's conservative supermajority is unlikely to stop its dramatic rewrite of American law. Public support for the Supreme Court fell dramatically following its decision in Dobbs v. Jackson. Women's Health Organization that ended National Abortion Rights Protections. So the justices spent the summer feuding about the court's legitimacy. Imagine that. They're upset because people don't find them legitimate. Well, you just heard the list of things they're likely to do. If you do fucked up shit, we're going to think you're fucked up and not legitimate. Justice Sam Alito's case, uh, doing an end zone dance about the end of Roe. These conservatives worked for decades to install an unbreakable judicial block that could gut the remnants of the New Deal regime and roll back the advances of civil rights movement, and now they have it. The October term is also the first full sitting for Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Due to her previous position of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, she is recused from one of the two affirmative action cases because she previously heard it on appeal. These two cases have been split so, she, so that she can participate. Now, the one case that everybody is concerned about, and it's not scheduled for arguments as yet, but it's Moore versus Harper. In another redistricting case, Moore versus Harper, North Carolina, state legislative Republicans want the court to adopt a previously fringe theory that state legislators are not bound by their state constitutions when enacting election law or drawing legislative district maps. If the court adopts this independent state legislature theory, it would mean that the state legislatures could enact any election law or district Map without state courts being able to rule on whether it violates a state's constitution. The case doesn't just threaten to overturn centuries of precedent, it seeks to make new law out of thin air. The argument presented to the court by the North Carolina GOP is even partially based on a fraudulent document. Since the Supreme Court has already ruled that partisan gerrymandering claims cannot be challenged in federal court, there would be practically no recourse for anyone to uh, challenge partisan gerrymandering if state courts cannot hear them either. This would enable the large number of state legislators already gerrymandered in favor of Republicans to solidify and expand those gerrymanders in in perpetuity, while enacting election laws not subject to state court review. So what, what this means is, is, is what we've said all along. The Republicans know they can't win anymore, so the only way they can be in the race and win the races is by gaming the system, gerrymandering, suppressing votes, all those sorts of things. Now, <clears throat> what's hoped to do What they're hoping to do in this case of Moore versus Harper is to allow them to do pretty much anything and not be subject to scrutiny in the state courts. Now, how in any parallel universe does that make sense? The Supreme Court suggesting that they don't have to go to court which would ultimately mean they wouldn't come to the Supreme Court. I don't understand the whole reasoning about this. Basically, what they want is the right to cheat, to game the system, and they don't want to be held accountable for it. Now, the question is, will the Supreme Court allow them to do it? Now, just looking at it at face value, they shouldn't. They couldn't. They wouldn't. Or would they? I mean... We had people sitting in their, uh, in, in their own hearings saying that, yeah, Roe v. Wade is settled law, but then hop right into the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Wade. So these people can't be trusted, obviously. Clearly, if they rule on some of these cases that are coming up that take rights away from people and benefit the Republicans, <clears throat> it's not surprising It's not wrong to say that they are partisan. Now, if our Supreme Court is partisan, then they lack legitimacy and credibility, which is what they're bitching about. You notice what they want to do uh, is blame us because we don't think they're legitimate or credible. We think they're partisan and they want to blame us. We don't have the right to question them Because if we question them, then all we do is hurt the court. And to me, that seems a little backwards, don't you think? I mean, we as a people, we have a right to question authority, whether they be the Supreme Court, sitting members of Congress, or the President of the fucking United States. That is what America is about. The reason these people sit on the Supreme Court or in Congress or in the Oval Office is because of us. See, this is where people forget that we, the people, are the ultimate power. Congress, presidents, Supreme Court would like to have us be, I don't know, serfs or um, slaves to whatever they want to tie us to. But that's not the way the Constitution is written. That's not what this country is meant to be. And because we've had decades and decades of apathy and not held these people responsible, we find ourselves in this position now. Now, we can keep going the way we go, but when it's all said and done, they'll take all our money and we will have no rights. We may have waited too long to do anything, but you know, you can't not fight. If you know something wrong, is happening to you? You can't just sit back and take it. You've got to do something about it. And of course, the Supreme Court Judge Alito and the, the uh, Chief Justice—they'd rather have us just say, you know, we can handle it. Let's let us do it and just shut up about it. I don't like that. I don't like that in a minimum wage job, and I don't like that with our U.S. government and our Supreme Court. This is something we need to change because the power in this country will be held by the minority, the Republicans, and they will do awful things to destroy our government, they've said as much, if we don't fight back. The first fight we've got to engage in is the midterms, and this means everybody's got to vote. This vote has to be unprecedented as far as turnout. That's going to be the first step. And if we can get that done, then we can start changing some things. We can codify Roe v. Wade, some of this gerrymandering and all this other bullshit. We can change that. As much as the Republicans have gone out of the way to change things to hurt this country, if we all band together, as people who are just as responsible for the future of this country as a sitting member of Congress or a senator or a president, if we do our part, we can put ourselves in a position where people have power again. I mean, that was the whole point of the United States. The people have the power. The people in Washington, D.C. were little more than our representatives. But that's not how it is now. And it's not like that now because we allowed it to happen. We allowed our abusers to abuse us over and over again until we got to such point where we said, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's just take it. Fuck that. There has to be a point where people say, enough, stand up and push back. And if there was ever a time to do that, now is the time. Your first job is the midterms. Let's get a blue wave going. Let's get the red uh, political party out of the fucking way. Let's absolutely cripple them so that they have no power to do anything. Because I'm telling you, and Ed's told you this, and I'll tell you too. If we don't do this, we're going to be living in a vastly different country than we once knew. We'll be living in a country that we don't want to live in. So instead of having to try to fight to get it back, let's fight to fucking keep it. All right. The National Archives and Records Administration. This is this is this is really upsetting and I think I talked about it in the previous podcast, but it's it bears repeating. The National Archives and Records Administration informed lawmakers that a number of electronic communications from Trump's White House staffers remain missing nearly two years since the administration was required to turn them over. The nation's record-keeping agency in a letter Friday to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform said that despite an ongoing effort by staff, electronic communications between certain unidentified White House officials were still not in their custody. While there's no easy way to establish absolute accountability, we do know that we do not have custody of everything we should. So what we have here is not only Donald Trump, but maybe sitting members of Congress, people who were on staff with Donald Trump. It's been widely reported that officials in President Donald Trump's White House used non-official electronic messaging accounts throughout his four years in office, which is exactly what Donald Trump screamed about with Hillary Clinton and obviously never found anything. The important thing here is that we still have top-secret documents out there. And that is truly troubling because any top-secret document that's out there means there's more opportunity for somebody we don't want to see it to see it. And to me, what's most egregious is these people have been asked for it back. Donald Trump has been asked multiple times. He's even said, yeah, we gave it all to you, and then we find out he didn't. As we start this new week, i got to believe with some of these revelations, this has got to get Merrick Garland fucking annoyed, absolutely annoyed, from the January 6th committee and documents still outstanding, still out there for anybody to see you got to believe that Merrick Garland is getting a little nervous, a little annoyed. See, this is a much different situation. A lot of these things may have happened before in our past. We just don't know it because they weren't brought to light. There may be all kinds of crises and things like that that happened before, but we never heard about them. That's the thing about social media, 24-hour news cycles on TV, There's a lot of information getting out that we never, ever knew. Because I'll be honest with you, as much as Donald Trump is probably the most corrupt and criminal president we've ever had, that's not to suggest that over the decades I've been alive, 62 years, there hasn't been plenty of other corruption and criminality. We just didn't know about it. So it all comes to light now. And this does a couple of things. It makes us angry because we hear it and we're just appalled by what we're hearing that's happening. But then Merrick Garland, the January 6th committee, uh, the SDNY, Manhattan District, all these courts, they have a problem. They may or may want to do things. They may want to not do things. But it's in the press now and everybody knows and let's be perfectly honest as much as money is a big deal in politics the currency really is public opinion what does the public know and what are they going to do about it when they know anybody in elected office doesn't want this shit flying in their face so they have a different situation than they've ever been able to have they have no more no they no longer have reasonable deniability Because it's out there. It's in our faces. So now they have to react accordingly. And with all this stuff coming to light, I got to believe that Merrick Garland is going to make some harsh moves, like indictments. I've always said before, what they need to do is they need to indict Donald Trump. Somebody fucking indict Donald Trump. Somebody's got to put a cork in that dipshit's pie hole. Because the more he talks the more it causes problems. He whips up all these dumb fucks, and then it stirs everything up in this country. And even the people that don't believe it, they hear it and they become fearful. You know, as I've told you before, um, when you have a bully like the Republicans... There are some people that will push back, but there'll be a lot of people that believe it. They go, ah, oh, you know, I'm passive, I don't want to do anything. So they get away with shit. And this is when that has to stop. We can't allow these fuckers to get away with it anymore. And it's going to be harder for them to get away with it now that it's out there in the ether, in the public public's purview. Because now these politicians have to deal with public opinion. And that is their worst fucking nightmare. The less you know, the better. Well, now we know a lot. I was going to say we know everything, but I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of shit we don't know yet. I think there's going to be a lot of shit that comes out in the January 6th hearing, the next one, that we have never heard before, maybe never even imagined. And it's going to scare the shit out of us. And all of that causes the average people, the normal people, to get upset, to get scared. And that's going to change the atmosphere for everything that's going on now. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out. We've got uh, um, documents out there willy-nilly all over the fucking world for all we know. We've got a judge dealing with these documents Who's trying to game it for Donald Trump? That's the other thing Merrick Garland is doing now, and the DOJ. They are um, they are appealing to the Eleventh Circuit. For as much as she's trying to muck this up, they're appealing to the Eleventh Circuit, suggesting that she should be taken off the case, thrown out of the case. And I think there's a good chance that may happen because what she's doing is so flagrant and so illegal and so um, uh, opposite of what constitutionality suggests that it's not going to be hard to make that choice. It's just a matter of if we get judges who are willing to do it. Now, in the 11th Circuit, there's like 13 judges, and keep in mind, six of them were appointed by Donald Trump. But that doesn't mean they're going to get a pass. I mean, as it is, they've already... Approved an appeal by the DOJ against this woman. This woman, Aileen Cannon, this judge that's a syc- sycophant for Donald Trump, is an embarrassment, not only to the Republican Party, not only to uh, conservatives, but also to the legal system. What she's doing is so absolutely ridiculous. I wouldn't be surprised if the 11th Circuit says, yeah, you're right, we got to get rid of this bitch. She's making us all look bad. So that is conceivable. That's what may be happening here. And we could see that this week as well. So there's a lot of things popping this week, a lot of things that we might see. We'll probably get some indication as to when the next January 6th hearing is scheduled too. I would imagine by Monday they'll come out and say, Monday meaning today, they will come out and say, okay, we've rescheduled it for X, Y, Z date. Only because the hurricane has passed, there's still a lot of troubles down there, and we'll talk more about that later, but at least it's settled down enough and the attention could be brought back to the January 6th committee and we would get a decent hearing. So expect some things to happen this week. Uh, Judge Aileen Cannon, Donald Trump, they're all pushing the envelope on this stuff only because they're desperate. And because of public opinion and because we all know what the fuck is going down, there is going to uh, be some reactions from the DOJ and the J6 committee and some other stuff. Hopefully, it'll be headed down the right route. We will start to see some indictments and we will be able to start to tamp down This fucking stupid fervor by the Trumple Fox. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. So if you've spent any time watching CNN over the last six years, you've seen this guy. His name is Scott Jennings. I believe he worked with George W. Bush back in the day. He's this smarmy, smirky little piece of shit that's been nothing but a Donald Trump apologist. For six years you know he never answers questions really he diverts he distracts he delays he doesn't answer the question and i'm sure cnn has had him on there because of they wanted a, a counterpoint to their talking to the democrats well now that cnn is making the change this fucker will probably be the star of the show ultimately however maybe not Because it sounds like even this fucking clown has had enough. During an appearance on CNN's State of the Union, Republican Party campaign consultant Scott Jennings launched a brutal attack on Donald Trump, the guy he's loved for six years, over his threatening social media post that claimed Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has, as Trump put it, a death wish. Trump's universally criticized the true social post also has been slammed for the racist attack on former transportation secretary Elaine Chao, McConnell's wife, who Trump referred to as Coco Chao. Now, keep in mind, she was in the Trump administration. She was the secretary of transportation. But now he's throwing racist comments out there. We've talked about that. Now, during the panel discussion on Sunday morning, Jennings, who was close to McConnell, claimed if you heard someone like that, like the former president, rant like that on the street, you'd call authorities at 911 before they hurt someone. Asked about the true social attack, Jennings replied, It's hard to know where to start with the assassination instructions or blatant racism. If you read that whole thing out loud, if you were on the street and heard someone muttering that on a street corner, you wouldn't say, hmm, let's hand this person the presidency or the Republican nomination for president. He continued, you'd say call 911 because it sounds like an unhinged, deranged person is on the loose and out on the street and may be a danger to themselves and others. Warming up, he added, it's outrageous, beyond the pale. Every Republican ought to be able to say so. It's not good for the party. It is not good for him. On the right right now, it is really in vogue to pass around clips of Joe Biden looking like he's confused or sort of out of it, whatever. You tell me that Trump's post doesn't sound like deranged, unhinged, confused, whatever. It's the same if you want to say these things about Joe Biden, look at Donald Trump's words right now and tell me this guy sounds like he's got his stuff together. So what's interesting about that is again, Scott Jennings has been a big apologist and a supporter of Donald Trump for a long time, but apparently he has more respect and has known Mitch McConnell longer. And when Donald Trump reaches out to threaten Mitch McConnell and, uh, throw out racist diatribes to Mitch McConnell's wife, who, let's be perfectly honest, she's a fucking criminal too. But nonetheless, that is a bridge too far for somebody like Scott Jennings. And honestly, I didn't know that I'd ever see that. I mean, he seemed to apologize for everything on this thing. Now, on the other side of the coin, somebody talked to Rick Scott, a senator from Florida. You remember him. He's the one that's in Florida, but voted against the relief of financial funds to Florida for the hurricane. How that makes any fucking sense, I don't know. Matt Gates voted against it, too. These people are in desperation. Their constituents are in desperation, and they voted against it. Well, that's kind of beside the point. What I was going to say about Rick Scott is this. He was on a television show that I watched. I don't remember which one it was, but... The uh, the host was talking to him about the same things, about what he said about Mitch McConnell and the racist remarks about Mitch McConnell's wife. And he was asked whether he supports that kind of language. Now, nobody in their right mind would support that kind of language. Even if it was your brother saying that shit, you go, you know, I'm not buying into that, but not Rick Scott. Rick Scott did everything he could to dance around this shit. You know, that's Trump, he's Trump, and this is it. And, and you know, what do you think about him saying Mitch McConnell has a death wish? And then he goes into whatever policy he thinks the Republicans have, like, well, you know, we're spending a lot of money. There are brown people coming across the border. No, motherfucker, that's not the question I asked. That's what this moderator should have said. The question is, threatening comments to a state's, uh, U.S. senator and racist comments to said U.S. senator's wife, do you support that? He could not answer that. That's an easy no. That's a fucking no-brainer. But even Rick Scott could not do that he's still apologizing for Donald Trump. Is he that afraid of Donald Trump? Or does he believe and think like Donald Trump? I think a little bit of both. I mean, even if he did think this way, anybody with common sense would shoot it down. They might believe it in their heart, but they're not going to admit it on television. That would cost them votes. But these days, Republicans don't seem to care about that shit. They will say anything and be surprised when they don't get votes. Like Donald Trump, Rick Scott can keep talking because you're talking yourself out of a fucking job. And the faster you can be out of a job, the better. Now, he's not up for re-election until 2024, so we're stuck with him for at least a couple more years. But, of course, um, we've got Marco Rubio up for re-election and Val Denning's is running against him, we can ship that motherfucker out and at least have a start in Florida. And with any luck, Ron DeSantis won't win the governorship over Charlie Crist, and things will start to get better in Florida. Now, since we're talking about Florida, Ron DeSantis and the like, this is an interesting story and uh, kind of an answer to a mystery we uh, we had going on this particular story. A private plane took off in Texas with a group of migrants who signed bogus waivers handed to them by a woman only known as Perla. Now, the woman has been finally found. Nobody could find this woman, but they have found her, the New York Times reported. According to the report, the woman is Perla Huerta, a former combat medic and counterintelligence agent. She was discharged last month after two decades in the U.S. Army that included several deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, according to military records. Now, see, this, this is uh, an illustration of some of the problems we have. There's been a lot of stories out there that we have a lot of Trump supporters and insurrection supporters in our military and certainly in our police departments. This is a problem we need to address because even if we get rid of Donald Trump, if we have these people within our ranks, we've got a problem. Now, Huerta had a Venezuelan, Venezuelan migrant who was working with her and who identified her to the police. Waivers signed by the migrants revealed that the English version of the waiver said something entirely different from the Spanish version. Several of the migrants on Martha's Vineyard photographed her during the recruitment process in San Antonio, according to Rachel Self, a lawyer representing the migrants. Huerta is located in Tampa, Florida, the report explains. The man who said he worked with her to help sign up other migrants agreed to speak on the condition that his name would not be used because the events are under investigation. He said he first met Ms. Huerta on September 10th outside the Migrant Resource Center in San Antonio. Huerta was accused of seeking to target Venezuelan migrants, but he felt betrayed because she never said she was working on behalf of the Florida government. These people were lied to. This is human trafficking. I was also lied to, he told the Times. If I had known, I would not have gotten involved. All she said was that she wanted to help people head up north. Venezuelans have been coming to the United States fleeing socialism, something Republicans claim they're against, but they don't want these people coming here. The effort to fly migrants to Martha's Vineyard appeared to have been far less organized than the more sweeping program created by Mr. Abbott in Texas that already had busted more than 11,000 migrants from the state to three northern Democratic-run cities, Washington, D.C., New York, and Chicago, it was reported. Now, according to DeSantis, the migrants coming into Florida are only doing so by onesies and twosies, not in large numbers. So he had to go to Texas to take migrants there and deport them. No one told the Texas governor it was happening, and the Republican Massachusetts governor wasn't informed they were coming either. Public records show that Vertol Systems was the charter airline company that was paid $615,000 on September 8th and 950000 less than two weeks later for what was identified as Project 1 and Project 2 and 3. The funds came from $12 million in funding for the Department of Transportation to facilitate the transportation of unauthorized aliens from this state. None of the people flown to Martha's Vineyard were unauthorized aliens from this state. They were here legally because they were seeking asylum, so there was no reason to kick them out or treat them badly. But this is what's happening. You've got one of the largest hurricanes to ever hit Florida. And in the lead up, what is Ron DeSantis doing? He's pulling these stunts. He's trafficking humans. When maybe, I don't know, just maybe, he could have been readying this state for imminent disaster. He's had to try to explain why he was so late in getting these things done. Well, he was fucking busy. He was busy trafficking people and not giving a fuck what people in the state need. Well, now they're in dire need. And Ron DeSantis, as much as he has Joe Biden, or he hates Joe Biden, he's now working together with Joe Biden. Now, as I've told you before, Joe Biden, in spite of the fact that the people of Florida... The Republicans anyway, and Ron DeSantis hate this guy. They would do anything to take him down, but now they need him. Well, Joe's a bigger man, and he's doing whatever he can to help him because as he's always said, he is the president of the United States for all people, not just Democrats. Now, Donald Trump didn't understand that mindset, but Joe Biden is a professional and he does. So Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas were battered this week as the Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida and surged north, impacting millions with strong winds, flooding, and power outages. Ian morphed from a hurricane status to a tropical storm and is still bringing rains to the mid-Atlantic as a post-tropical cyclone, Ian. As officials in the four states start to take measures Of the damage, the death toll is rising and thousands, thousands remain unaccounted for. Now, what we know as far as the impact Ian had by the numbers, death toll nears 70 and it's climbing. At least 68 people have been confirmed dead, according to the Associated Press, with most of the casualties being reported in Florida. Three people died when a storm passed through Cuba. Other outlets are putting the number higher as authorities struggle to assess affected areas, each survivors and log deaths due to the storm. Now, the Florida Medical Examiner's Commission, in an update Sunday, confirmed 58 deaths attributed to Hurricane Ian in the state. Lee County on Florida's southwestern coast has counted 42 casualties. Another five people died in Volusia County three each in Collier and Sarasota counties, two in Manatee County, and one each in Hendry, Hillsborough, Lake Counties, according to the medical examiner's update. These are people who died. Now, according to the medical examiner's update, another 23 deaths were reported in Charlotte County, according to... Actually, that came from the local media. Now, right now... In spite of the fact we're talking about 70 people dead, around 10,000 Floridians are unaccounted for. Nobody can get in contact with them. So there are likely to be more deaths involved. We just haven't been able to find them. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced Saturday that the state had recorded more than 1,100 rescues with more than 1,000 search and rescue team members deployed. But those operations face a number of obstacles as rescue workers wade through flooded areas and facing lingering storm conditions. According to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, around 10,000 people are still unaccounted for in South Florida. 17 people are still missing as of Friday after a boat carrying migrants from Cuba to Florida was wrecked by the storm at sea. Right now, there's over 685,000 people still without power. The number of Floridians Floridians without power exceeded 2.6 million Wednesday night as Ian edged away from the state's western Gulf Coast and pushed toward the northeast shores. Most of the worst damage is clustered on Florida's southwestern coast, where the storm made landfall as a Category 4 hurricane. But counties along the eastern coast were also impacted as the storm moved across the state. Now, some counties experienced extreme power cuts. In Hardy County, the power outage uh, at one point logged that 99.5 of track customers were without power. In Lee County, as much as 94% in the area were impacted, there was 150 mile an hour winds and record rainfall. This was uh, this was not going to be good, and this is going to come at a pretty steep cost. The havoc wreaked by the hurricane Ian in Florida will mean the largest storm-related financial loss in the state's history, according to Bloomberg. We're talking about 63 billion dollars. The residential, commercial, and industrial damage could cost insurers as much as 63 billion dollars per the report. When Category five Hurricane Irma battered the state in two thousand seventeen, the National Hurricane Center estimated the storm caused over fifty billion in damages to the affected U.S. states. For Florida alone, that number surpassed ten billion according to the Tampa Bay Times. Seven people in Florida died during Hurricane Irma, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The following year, Category five Hurricane Michael caused another seven deaths. So this clearly had far more impact than what, what we've seen in previous situations. And part of the reason for that is this particular hurricane was far bigger than these previous hurricanes. I think Irma was like 10 or 20 miles across, and uh, Ian was like five hundred miles across. It 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 hit a wide swath through most of Florida, and people people, as I said, you know, there's people, ten thousand people still missing. We don't know what happened to them, and since we don't know what happened to them, we don't know if they're alive or not. I have some people I know that are thinking that have a place down in in. Uh, I think it's Marco Island. And uh, they're thinking about going down there in a couple weeks. I'm going, why? There's nothing left. If you saw the pictures of what's going on in uh, Fort Myers Beach, I mean, it's wiped out. It's going to be months, if not years, before everything is built up again. And if you have a place on Sanibel Island, forget about it. The pictures we see and everything we hear about Sanibel Island It's totally wiped out. I mean, it's kind of like what happened to Puerto Rico. There ain't much left there. In fact, the bridge to get to Sanibel has been knocked down. So you got to take a fucking ferry to even get there. This is quite a mess. And Florida is in deep trouble. And this doesn't come at an opportune time for Ron DeSantis. No doubt people are going to be struggling down there. And they're going to want to blame somebody. They can't blame Joe Biden on this one because he just keeps sending money. But people are going to question why Ron DeSantis has done the things he did, why he waited so long to get this evacuation and other preparations done. Why did he wait so long? Part of it might be because he was too busy doing these fucking stunts with migrants. It's weird to watch Ron DeSantis now. He's got a whole different vibe about him. It's a more humble vibe than he's had as of late. And let's be honest, he's not humble at all. He's an arrogant fuck. That was his charm to some of the Republicans. But now he's having to pull it back a little bit, bow his head to Joe Biden in hopes that Joe Biden will help. And of course, Joe Biden's going to fucking help. He's the president of the United States. I wish the people well down in Florida. There are people I know down in Florida that are good friends of mine. I love Florida. I'm not exactly happy with Florida these days. I can't bring myself to go to Florida because of the way they do things. You know, I did hear one story that I found kind of interesting. I don't know if this is near uh, Orlando. I think it's near Orlando, maybe about 30 miles out from Orlando. There is a community there with like 2,000 homes, and this whole community is run by solar energy. They're not on the grid. It's all solar in energy. Now, when this hurricane came through, you have to wonder how did that affect this small community of 2,000 homes with solar energy? How did it affect them? Well, of course, the wind and the rain would have a similar effect. But you know what? Nobody in that group, not one person in that group, lost power. And why would they? There's no wires. There's no towers. There's nothing like that. It's all solar energy. It's built into the house. As much as they had to probably go through some things because of the wind and the rain, they never lost electricity. I heard one Republican recently talking, and... uh, He was trying to own the libs after the hurricane. This seemed like a stretch, and it seemed kind of stupid. But he said, after the hurricane, with all the power outages, I bet you're glad you didn't have an electric car then. What the fuck kind of argument is that? No, the fact of the matter is, if we had more solar energy and we had more electric cars, it would have had a much less impact impact on Florida, but they are so upset about solar energy and electrical cars and such that they will do anything to try to throw that in people's faces. That's the funny thing about the Republicans. They keep trying to own the libs and throw things in the, the, the libtards' faces, and it never works for them. It's always a fucking failure. The perfect example of that is as, uh, Ron DeSantis, not having enough uh, undocumented migrants in his home state, that he has to pull some tax money together, go to Texas and grab some undocumented migrants there, so he can ship them out and send them to Donald Trump's or not Donald Trump's place, but uh, Joe Biden's place, Martha Vineyard. You know, you know why he he sent people to Martha's Vineyard. A lot of people think it's just because it's a rich community, it's a liberal community, and that was part of it. But you know who lives in Martha's Vineyard, or at least has a house there? Barack Obama. They're still pissed off at Barack Obama. Barack Obama's not even the fucking president anymore, but they thought they'd try to own Barack Obama and send these undocumented migrants to Martha's Vineyard, just to show them up. Now, we know what's happened. They all look foolish. They all look evil. And this is not going to do them any good. I mean, other than the 30% of the Trumplefucks, they'll love it. I sit and watch these people and I listen to them interviewed. And I'm just taken aback by how absolutely ignorant they are. These people that are so ignorant, you need to understand something. If by chance you're listening to this podcast or my TikToks, you're losing. You're losing big. And there's no way out of this. You can cry and whine and claim victim. You can try to fight or threaten violence. None of it's going to work. You're done. Your time is over. You have no more power, and you will never get it back because nobody in their right mind would give Republicans power back. And that brings us back, of course, to the midterms. Everything seems to hinge on the midterms. Can we codify Roe v. Wade? Well, you better win the midterms. Are we going to uh, get some action on the January 6th hearing from the DOJ? Yes, we probably will, regardless of what happens in the midterms. But understand, if the Democrats maintain power in the House and the Senate, it's going to be much stronger and it's going to be much easier. Once it's out of Congress and in the DOJ, no matter who's in Congress, they really can't do much about it. Now, where it could change is if in 2024, a Republican gets in there, they get a new attorney general, and they do a wholesale firing there, then it could affect those investigations. But those investigations should be done and wrapped up well before 2024. So that shouldn't be an issue. But the bottom line is, when we get to 2022 here in November for the midterms, we know that these people, the Republicans, the trump cannot be trusted with any kind of power. They will do nothing for the country, and what they might do for the country will be harmful to the country. So for my money, I can't imagine how anybody in their right mind would vote for a Republican, anywhere from the President to the Senate to the House, all the way down to the dog catcher. These people are not only evil, but they're fucking incompetent. Why would you ever vote Republican? I would love to see a large number of Republicans say, you know what, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, but I can't sign on to this bullshit. I think we're going to see more and more of those people. I think the independents have already walked away from the Republican Party, but there is a reasonable minded part to the republican party and they can't possibly sign on with the fucking crazies there's just absolutely no way and as i've said in previous podcasts all of this spells success for the democrats if you've got the liz cheneys and the adam Kinzingers and even the mitch mcconnell's on the republican side saying yeah that's too much for me i'm not getting involved and then you have the crazies what you ultimately have is a Republican party that's split, and if they are split, they don't have enough power to win any elections. I almost feel like uh, there's destiny here that the midterms will go in the, w- the way of the Democrats and there'll be changes. We've gotten the worst of it now. We've gone through the trials and tribulations, and I now sense the shift to the other side. And I have to believe that it's going to go all the way to the other side in order to rectify the fucking mess we have in this country. So I'm counting on that, and I believe that will happen. The Republicans aren't even smart enough to know what they're doing is hurting their chances even more. So let Ron DeSantis be a fuckhead. Let Donald Trump be a fuckhead. Let Gosar and and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert I think those people are going to get their comeuppance sooner than later. These people that were involved with the January 6th insurrection, they are going to be exposed, and there is going to be absolute evidence of their involvement in the insurrection, whether it be the planning, the strategizing, the funding, it doesn't matter. If you had anything to do with that insurrection, I'm sorry to say, you're fucking going down. And you're going down fucking very hard. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. Of course, we'll be paying close attention to what's going on this Monday and throughout the week. And uh, we will talk to you at the latest tomorrow. But there's a chance that Ed will be around sometime during the day. And then we'll have an update in the middle of the day. So you have a great day. Let's hope for the best for this week. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.